This is the intersection. The intersection. This is the Intersection podcast for Saturday, the 28th of January, 2017. Episode 3, Unnecessary Sequel. The Intersection podcast is only made possible through the support of its listeners and sponsors. If you have a product or service that you feel may appeal to our audience, please contact sponsor at intersectioncast.com. Hello there. Welcome to The Intersection. Welcome to episode three. This is the podcast that brings together the worlds of technology and pop culture. My name is Jonathan Wildman. I'm your main host and uh, we have a pretty packed show for you this week that we hope you enjoy. Let's launch into some of the tech news from the past week. Last episode I discussed uh, the Samsung Galaxy Note 7 saga, the exploding phones, and that Samsung were due to uh, release a report to explain why, after investigations, why these phones were exploding and catching fire. The insider who provided the information as to the reasons that why Samsung's phones were overheating was right on the money. Samsung did indeed have a press conference on the Monday and did indeed confirm that it was the batteries that were the source of the problem with the Galaxy Note 7. Samsung's press conference was pretty comprehensive and they did go into quite a lot of detail as to uh, what what caused the issues. However, it wasn't completely satisfactory. If you consider that Samsung was squeezing a 3500 milliamp lithium-ion battery into a 7.9mm very thin smartphone, apparently the cause of the first batch of phones overheating and exploding was due to the fact that uh, half of the phones that were out there, the battery was provided by a Samsung subsidiary. And those particular batteries did not fit properly into the phone. That caused the overheating and caused the subsequent explosions. Okay, that's fine, you may think. So why did the second batch of phones explode? Well, according to Samsung, the manufacturing issues that they faced, they suffered from the second batch of phones, the replacement Galaxy Note 7 phones, were due to the fact that the production of those phones was rushed. Samsung were in a panic. Their flagship product had tanked in the sense that uh, this was was a reputational disaster, so they rushed out the second batch of phones. Now, Samsung were quite candid in admitting that getting the second batch of replacement phones out to market was done in haste. And it doesn't seem that they're entirely sure what the problem was with those batch of phones. According to them, there could have been a number of failures during the rushed process, a number of different failures, with some contributing factors including missing insulation tape and sharp edge protrusions. It sounded like a complete manufacturing disaster, and although they're acknowledging it now and went out of their way to claim that they are taking responsibility, it doesn't bode very well for them, and it doesn't fill you, the customer, with confidence that their handsets are to be trusted. So what is going wrong with Samsung in terms of the design process of their phones and why does safety seem to come second to this rush to market to get a flagship out there as quickly as possible just to pip Apple, presumably their closest rival, to the post? Now, in the press conference, Samsung went through a very sort of a very comprehensive eight point battery safety check. 
which they will be using to design their new phones going forward. Now, that was an attempt to sort of soften some of the damage. That was definitely damage control. The upcoming Galaxy S8, uh, which is going to be revealed around the time of Mobile World Congress in late February, early March, is going to have to be a pretty spectacular phone in order to reverse this reputational damage that Samsung has suffered and to uh, restore any sort of confidence that the customer may have in their products and particularly in their manufacturing process. Now, I won't bore you with the details, going to detail about this eight-point battery safety check, which they will be implementing, apparently, in future. So what I will do is leave a link to their full press release and their full press conference in the show notes. If you're interested, have a look, have take some time, watch the videos, read the statements. At the end of the day, it's going to be up to you, the customer, whether to decide whether Samsung is to be trusted or not in future. From my point of view, I'm going to reserve judgment for now. Now in Apple news, we have some rumours about iOS 11. We have some rumours concerning FaceTime and that Apple actually planning to add a group FaceTime option in iOS 11. Uh, this has come from uh, an Israeli publication called uh, Verifier. According to the site, um, they claim that Apple's new feature will allow up to five users to video chat simultaneously and they will be able to initiate a group conversation through the iMessage app. This sounds really good, and it's a feature that many people have asked for, and it's something that Google Hangouts has had for a while, I believe. But Apple should reveal iOS 11 and what it has in store for us during the Worldwide Developers Conference, which is usually held in June. Some rumours now concerning the next generation of Apple Pencil uh, to coincide with the release of new iPad Pros sometime in the spring, we suspect around March. Uh, citing a source on Chinese microblogging site Weibo, there was a report that the uh, so-called Apple Pencil 2 will have a magnetic uh, system, much like the smart cover, to attach to the iPad Pro directly. Now, this sounds a lot like the accessory that Moxieware sold for the Apple Pencil, the first generation Apple Pencil, uh, the, which was a magnet, uh, magnetic sleeve which you would slide the Apple Pencil into and it would attach to your iPad Pro inside of the iPad Pro or onto the smart cover itself. I bought one of these, but it became increasingly annoying to carry that thing around with me because it would loosen up and essentially fall off the pencil. So a built-in solution does sound pretty good and long overdue. Other rumours include a standard, a box-standard pen clip to be um, attached to the pencil itself so that uh, people could keep the Apple Pencil in their pockets for easy access. Other than that, no other significant hardware improvements have been rumoured as of yet. Apple have released the beta of iOS 10.3, which is out there if you have access to their betas. And this one includes a nifty feature that uh, many sort of joked about um, when their AirPods were first released due to their small size and ease of getting lost. This is a Find My AirPods feature, which is part of the Find My iPhone app. And it works the same way you would find any other iOS device that you've lost. You can initiate a, an audio signal, in this, in this case, either 
in the left ear or the right ear or both ears if, if, if you need to and uh, essentially search for your lost AirPods. Now you'll also be able to trace the last known location of your AirPods and considering that the AirPods have no GPS chip or cellular radio of their own it serves as only as only, only as a guide um, in the sense that it'll give you a clue as to where you could have last left them. So it looks at the last location which your phone has communicated or your phone or your tablet has communicated with your AirPods and displays that on a map. So this is a useful feature. Many welcome this. How useful it will be in practicality, I'm not too sure because, to be quite honest, if you keep your AirPods in its nifty carry case, the likelihood of you losing them is minimal to none. The subject of clickbait headlines and fake news stories are nothing new in terms of internet culture, but recently the influence, the dissemination and the consumption of fake news has been a hot topic of debate. This stems from the recent election of US President and Dark Lord of the Sith Donald Trump and Facebook. Facebook being somewhat a harbinger of fake news items. Now, shockingly enough, uh, some statistics online uh, cropped up and claimed that half of the US population, over half of the US population, 62% in fact of all American adults, access their news, their main source of news, not from the TV, not from newspapers, but from social media. And 66% of all Facebook users, users get their main news from Facebook itself. The particular controversy concerning Donald Trump's election stemmed from a number of fake news items that were spread about Hillary Clinton, his opponent. Now, a lot of these items were distributed throughout Facebook and they were shared among a lot of American voters who rely on Facebook as their source of news, but they, uh, they shared these items without any attempts to uh, check the validity of these stories. Some of these stories uh, well, verged on the ridiculous from my point of view, but included um, accusations that Hillary Clinton was the leader of an underground paedophile ring, or that the Pope himself endorsed Donald Trump. Now, a lot of liberals were absolutely shocked with Donald Trump's uh, uh, win and election as US president. And so what kind of happened in the days after the results came in, that people were looking uh, to point the finger at blame. Facebook caught a lot of flack because a lot of these news items, again, originated from the most popular social network being Facebook. And in actual fact, Facebook was accused of being the cause of Trump's election simply for allowing these items to be published and to be shared among its users. Now, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg made his thoughts quite clear concerning his assumption of responsibility that Facebook had for influencing the US election by allowing these stories to be published. Zuckerberg made it quite clear and said that personally, I think the idea that fake news, of which it's a small amount of content, influenced the election is a pretty crazy idea. 
But that wasn't enough to satisfy many liberal-leaning commentators who still to this day disagree and who still hold Facebook accountable for Trump's victory. Now, ironically, during the quite bitter campaign, Donald Trump accused the media of running a conspiracy against him and being in cahoots with the Clinton campaign. And still to this day, he dismisses the likes of CNN and claims that they are the originators of fake news items and refuses to answer questions from their journalists during press conferences. And yet we had his uh, White House, his new White House press secretary, uh, Sean Spicer, Um, He used the very first White House press conference of Trump's administration not to focus on important world issues, but on Trump's Obama envy. Now, that was provoked by media reports, media reports which included photographic evidence, no doubt, that uh, the crowds at Donald Trump's inauguration were significantly smaller than that at Barack Obama's inauguration in 2009. It is said 1.8 million people were out there to witness Barack Obama's inauguration out in Washington, compared to Donald Trump's 900,000. And some even argue that that number is even less. So what happened was Sean Spicer, Trump's press secretary, decided to declare that the media were wrong and to declare that the media were reporting fake news and went ahead to claim that Donald Trump had attracted the largest audience ever to witness a presidential inauguration, in person and in the world, period. He also claimed that attempts to lessen the enthusiasm for the inauguration were shameful and wrong. Sean Spicer flat out lied and became very quickly the subject of ridicule within the media and in terms of internet law. And there was a surge of new political memes with uh, ridiculous claims ending with Sean Spice's period. In a ridiculous attempt to uh, give such an outlandish claim legitimacy. Now, a lot of people have likened this to uh, comical Ali from uh, the second Gulf War. If you remember the former Iraqi information minister who would make statements to the media such as, oh, there's no invasion here, while you see the US tanks rolling by in the background. Now, when uh, Donald Trump's uh, former campaign advisor, now general presidential advisor, Kellyanne Conway, was put on the spot by the media about the inaccuracies reported by Sean Spicer concerning the size of his inauguration cloud, she claimed that Spicer hadn't lied, but had just reported alternative facts. Now, the issue of alternative facts is actually quite a serious one, particularly now as we rely on social networks and in particular news apps that aggregate news stories based on our interests, based on our tastes and based on our beliefs. So we kind of live in a bubble where we're only seeing stories reported concerning things that we want to hear and they're reported in the way that we want to hear them being reported. So fact seems to have actually gone out the window, which leads us back to Facebook, who on Wednesday indicated that maybe now they're starting to realise the extent of their influence over, I would argue, the world's population, considering the numbers of users that they have on their network. So Facebook on Wednesday revealed a number of new measures to help fight the spread of fake news across their platform and the number of ideas that they were working on. 
They really have behind the scenes collaborated with a number of fact checkers or fact checking organisations to uh, scour through user news feeds and check for the validity of stories and to determine what exactly has been reported as fake news or propaganda. And Facebook have declared that they're going to do their part to try and push people or remove people from the uh, news bubble that they immerse themselves within, which leaves them susceptible to the dissemination of fake news by removing personalised trending topics for each user. The trending topics or the trending news topics section of Facebook will now only publish reports that have been verified, verified by a number of legitimate news sources and initially published by a variety of legitimate news sources. So one-off outlandish fake news items will no longer find their way onto the Facebook trending topics feed. Now, this is a good step forward from my point of view, but let me know what you think in the comments. Is the issue of fake news that serious? Is this particular issue Facebook's axe to grind? Do they have responsibility? Should they be held accountable for things such as the election of the US president? Or should its users be responsible for their own naivety? My point of view is that Facebook should be held accountable for the level of power and influence it has over the world. I mean, the number of subscribers is extraordinary. Facebook, I believe, in the third quarter of 2016, reported that they had 1.79 billion monthly active users. Now, from their point of view, an active user is someone who has logged into Facebook during the past 30 days. That's extraordinary. Extraordinary. So yes, people are right to criticise those that are gullible, those that accept the report of any news item, no matter how far-fetched or outlandish it may seem, based on the fact that it appears on a Facebook news feed, rather than checking the validity of that item and the facts behind it. And I believe people also have their own responsibility to others, in that if you can't verify the facts of a story, if it's nothing but a gossip piece without substance, why would you want to share that with the wider audience of your friends and family? If the story is proved to be false, surely you're the one that ends up with egg on your face. Maybe not. I personally am not an active Facebook user. We have a Facebook account for the podcast, but I don't use Facebook in any social way whatsoever. So perhaps I'm the wrong person to offer an opinion on this. But um, I do believe that Mark Zuckerberg has inadvertently created something that gives him probably too much power. Too much power in terms of influencing people and in terms of prying into their lives. Now, I'm not for one second, you know, implying that he has evil intentions or he's not to be trusted, just that it's a lot of power for one person. And Facebook has an awful lot of power for one social network. So I absolutely believe that it does have a duty, a duty to prevent the spreading and the sharing of fake news items, particularly with the amount of money that that company generates, 
and that everything that it publishes publicly should be verified. to a few items from the world of cinema. I'm very pleased to be joined by fellow Londonian and film aficionado, Bronson Green. Bronson, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you on board. No, pleasure to be here, mate. Pleasure to be here. Bronson, very briefly, can you tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself, what floats your boat in the world of pop culture, in particular cinema? Yeah, sure. I'm a bit, bit of a sort of nerd, as are you when it comes to pop culture, mate. So, uh, movies uh music cinema um big fan of the some of the more sort of mainstream franchises i guess star wars transformers batman um but yeah child of the 80s really so that that will probably give people an idea straight away of uh, the kind of stuff i'm into okay cool yeah yeah as, as i as am i uh, i'm an 80s child and some of the some of the, it's probably the, the more uh, significant of eras in terms of pop culture and um, certainly in terms of franchises. So, um, no, that's cool. That's awesome. All right, let's get to it. Um, the biggest story probably of the past week um, was, was like Disney revealing the, epi- uh, the, the title of episode eight of Star Wars, uh, the, uh, the Last Jedi, I believe it's called. Yeah, they they made sure that they uh, that the decks were clear, that Rogue One had done its money. Yeah. Um, they there was no way they were going to release this title, you know, at the back end of last year because uh, they don't want the average punter getting confused. Oh, there's two Star Wars movies now coming out. Well, so, the, yeah, yeah. From my point of view, I mean, from just just from people who who are just like casual fans, they were kind of confused anyway with Rogue One. I actually overheard people wondering where that that uh, BB-8 droid was, where Ray was, and they were confused by the entire thing. But um, yeah, I think the assumption was that, and and from when I watched Rogue One, the assumption was that you just knew the premise, you knew what was going on, they just sort of dropped you right in it. You already you were expected to know what the Death Star was and who Darth Vader was. There was no explanation for any of that sort of thing for a casual moviegoer, I suppose. But uh, that wasn't their core audience, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they won't be regretting that for a minute anyway. It's made a billion dollars, and I've noticed it did a lot of money in North America. I think if you look at box office, certain movies which do big money. I mean, you look at Transformers, for example. It doesn't actually do that much money anymore in North America. I think the bulk of it money of its money comes from like abroad, sort of the, the emerging markets, if you like, China. It's popular in Japan. But uh, Star Wars always does big money in North America, doesn't it? And I think of the billion dollars that Rogue One's done, uh, it's probably because there's been a lot of repeat business from people who just live and breathe Star Wars, yeah. big Star Wars geeks, just going to see the film three, four times, maybe more. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I So, I mean, 
I won't go too much into Rogue One. I mean, we've had a discussion about Rogue One before offline, and um, I think that ship has sailed, really. It's done very well. So Disney have got full justification for bringing us these spin-off movies. And I think people are going to get tired with the uh, one movie a year um, pattern, but uh, that remains to be seen. Uh, so that's on Rogue One. Um, as for this this title, I'm actually, first of all, back to Rogue One. I'm, I'm surprised I didn't show us a teaser trailer for episode eight with Rogue One. I'm surprised we didn't get that, but it looks like we're probably going to get that in the spring. But yeah, um, I'm, I'm kind of glad they didn't lump that on the end of the film or maybe do a post credits uh, scene, you know, following in the steps of how successful Marvel are with what they're doing. I, I thought, come on, that'll be too obvious. I know that they're kind of trying to establish a universe now of Star Wars, and I'm sure that you know, they want to milk the cash cow with dozens of films in the next few decades. Um, but I was a little bit apprehensive. I thought, are they going to cheapen it a bit here and tack on a little scene post-credits? But they didn't, so glad. Okay, okay. I, I was I was kind of, I mean, I, didn't, I heard, I didn't hear anything to suggest that we were going to get a teaser trailer sort of at the run-up to uh, the release of Rogue One. But at the back of my mind, I was kind of hoping to see something. But, you know. Uh, yeah, they'll, say, they'll, they'll save it for another time. But we did get the title for episode eight. We got that on Monday. And uh, what are your first thoughts on that? The Last Jedi. Um, I I tend to not uh, get too carried away about little snippets like this that come out because you can't make a judgment call um, and you can't let your preconceptions of a film be coloured by the title. Do you know what I mean? I mm. mean... I'm I'm a big fan of the prequels, for example, but even I can admit that uh, Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones as titles are very obviously B movie homage type titles. I didn't I didn't get an image of my mind in, in my mind of what the films would be like based on those. When the Force Awakens title broke again, I, d- I didn't read too much into it. I'll, I'll tell you something about this title, The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. My first thought was. Um, samurai movie stroke uh, spaghetti western which didn't surprise me because I think Ryan is it Ryan Johnson or Rian Johnson? It's Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson, right. I've read a little bit about the films that he's a fan of and I think he even like released details on half a dozen films which are going to be directly influencing the style of episode 8. I think one of them might have been a samurai movie so I'm not surprised. What I was a little bit disappointed about if I'm going to nitpick, it would be there's no intrigue in the title. It, it doesn't make me wonder. It, mm. we, we know who The Last Jedi is, right? It's Luke. Or if the, if it's a plural title, it's Luke and Rey, i.e. them two are The Last Jedi. Well, that's, this is my problem. Um, we always knew that Luke was The Last Jedi. Uh, yeah, you, know, you know, Yoda, Yoda said it quite clearly in, um, in Return of the Jedi. You know, when God of my last the Jedi you will be. Pass on what you have learned. And so... And again, Return of the Jedi, The Last Jedi, it's repetition. that We've not ever had that before in, in, with a Star Wars title. So it's kind of annoying. Um, okay, I can see your point there. And you did so, sort of mention, um, you know, the kind of uh, campy pulp serial titles that Lucas always gave us. And, uh, and we've been missing that with this new trilogy. I mean, The Force Awakens was a dull, a dull title. Uh, the Last Jedi is also a dull title. And you know what it seems like? It seems like... Um, Disney are just um, 
putting sort of obvious Star Warsy words in their titles, Force, Jedi, just to catch the eye of your casual audience. That's what it seems to me. It seems like a really lazy approach. And it, just this words that the general public would associate with Star Wars. Yeah. People with little oh. knowledge of the movies. Oh, yeah, Force. Yeah, Star Wars. Jedi. Yeah, that's, that sounds like Star Wars. And that seems to be what, you know, where they're going with this. And so call me cynical. I, I don't like the title at all. Um, uh, there's little imagination in it. I, I think that um, The Last Jedi refers to, does it refer to Luke? Does it refer to Rey? I think actually it's going to refer to Rey. I don't think it's referring to Luke at all. Well, he's he, not going to die before the end of episode eight, is he, Luke? I, I, I suspect that Luke will, will die at the end of episode eight. Um, and I suspect that the pressure will be on Ray, and uh, Ray is the last Jedi. That, that's that, gonna that's blow. what I think. If that's how it materializes, that's going to blow. I think, Luke, well, Luke, I think Luke might very well be around in the, in the last one, you know, Obi Wan style as a Force Ghost, but I think, I think they're going to get rid of Luke Skywalker. I don't, I don't think this, a lot of people are getting excited by this title and thinking, oh, great, it means we're going to get the adventures of Luke Skywalker. That's not going to happen. And I, I would have thought people should know better after what they received in uh, episode seven, the force awakens. Yeah. You know, I think first of all, what you said there about the marketing department, almost taking precedence in terms of figuring out the title, as opposed to anyone creative. I think you're completely right about that. I've already assumed that's what's going on here anyway, since Disney bought the, the thing. And it's just more of that whole dichotomy, which is why Lucas went into early retirement when he basically had a bit of a falling out and a confrontation with Disney when they said, we want to go retro. And he said, no, I want to do something new. I always do something new when I make a, a new movie. And that's, that's, that led to that horrible pastiche feel that The Force Awakens had. I mean, let's face it, as entertained as I was by that film, you know, Wizards by Quick for two hours, you don't even have a chance to really dislike the film because, it, you know, it is likable and entertaining, but the more you look back on it now, it is a bit of an abomination. Yeah. It's, it's, that's how I see it. And It doesn't get and, better with every viewing, no. Well, put it this way, it's, it's on satellite, cable, whatever, a lot recently, and usually when I'm channel surfing, if I fall onto one of the six Star Wars movies, as I call them, episodes one to six, I'll usually... Have to sit and watch it for ten minutes. It catches me. It really grabs me by the um, collar, if you like. Hmm. Force Awakens seems to repulse me, and, it, and it's purely down to the fact that you know the film's basically a two-hour love letter to the original trilogy, made by a, a fanboy, a glorified fanboy, who's a good craftsman, but he's not really a great writer-director. I'm kind of braced myself that this is what Episode Eight's going to feel like as well. The real tragedy is, if I'm wrong, and if you're wrong, if episode eight is brilliant, if it's completely kind of new and original and it's surprisingly good, it almost won't matter because this new trilogy has already been studied by what episode seven is, right? Yeah, I think so. But I think we're, we're all secretly hoping that, you know, episode eight will have a little bit more substance to it than seven did and that seven was just playing it safe just to reintroduce star wars to the public and now they, they can take more risks although don't don't count on that i think i think we may be disappointed if i was going to be really anal i'd say something like oh the title's terrible there's no poetry 
as George likes to say, there's no poetry, you know, Last Jedi sounds like a fan film. It should be something like, I don't know, Last of the Jedi or The Remnant of the Jedi or something silly like that. But, you know, I'm not going to be too anal about it. But, you know, one thing um, that it does tell me, actually, is that if this and, and The Force Awakens tells me the same thing, that if Disney had any faith in their movie at all, any faith in the story behind this new trilogy, they would reference something else in the title. They'd reference the Resistance or the Knights of Ren, the First Order or what, whatever. They're going for the obvious picks. Jedi, Force, Force, Jedi. Um, but let's not read too much into it. Uh, let's talk about the... Um, so we've got the teaser poster, which is basically the same as the Force Awakens teaser. Um, just the Starfield. But this time, the Star Wars logo is red. What do you read into that, if anything? Yeah. No, I didn't read anything into it. Um, it. What was the color of the font for The Force Awakens? The actual Force Awakens was white and Star Wars was yellow, right? Yeah, it was yellow. It was more of an orangey yellow, but yeah. Right. So um, I, I don't know. I think um, some people might... The obvious connotation with red is horror and blood, isn't it? Or And that can be translated into maybe darkness. So is this going to be the dark chapter, which again... Maybe that's what they're trying to do because they're trying to mirror the original trilogy desperately. Um, so, yeah, I didn't think too much about it. But if you are going to try and extrapolate from something as minimal as the color, that's what I suppose you would extrapolate. I did it. I must admit, when I saw the thing, because it was released on Instagram or whatever, when I saw the red font, I did like it. It, it looks good. It's pleasing to the eye. But again, I, I'm not going to read too much into it. Why? Well, what about you? Uh, I, I, yeah, I don't read anything into it at all, to be quite honest. I mean, uh, there's a lot of fanboys who are reading all sorts of things into it. And um, nah, I, I just think simple marketing. You can't have it looking exactly the same as the other, as the, um, the other teaser poster for The Force Awakens. So they changed the color. I think it's as simple as that. They just changed the color because they felt like it. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I don't, I don't read anything into it at all. But going back to this, oh, who, who The Last Jedi is, could it be Rey? Could it be Luke? Funnily enough, I was just thinking about the opening the opening crawl of episode seven um yeah. and that uh it does refer to the last jedi skywalker doesn't yeah, it refers to luke as the last jedi doesn't it yeah yeah it does and um even snoke that awful 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 antagonist from seven um that snoke uh refers to luke as the last jedi as well doesn't he about the droid being delivered to the, if it's lived to resistance it'll lead him to the last jedi or something like that yeah yeah, there's not many memorable lines from that movie, but I remember, I remember that at least. But yeah. You know what? I, I did say that we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't build heavy preconceptions of a film, um, especially when we haven't, for example, even seen a teaser trailer. But I suppose when you start just piling everything up one after the other, it's not promising, is it? Um, like you say, the unoriginality of the of the title the fact that there's no two three year gap that's elapsed um in the narrative between episode seven and eight it's going to start exactly where seven left off isn't it yeah i i, I gave them the benefit of the doubt when that came out i wasn't too critical about it but it is a negative i think we're just we're just getting a few little negatives piling up on each other here and i hope that's not indicative of what this film's going to be i hope it does surprise us in a positive way well I hope it surprises us. And you did mention about, you know, the news about it, it, it starting right from where it, it left off. And that's not very Star Warsy. And you wonder's question, how are they going to pull that off? 
um, you know, the crawl goes up and the star field. How how can you how can you go straight to them on that that that, that planet? Um, I forget the name of the planet. What's the planet called again? I, I can't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> the place in Ireland, that pretty island. Yeah, that pretty Irish uh, Irish island in Ireland. Yeah, that pretty one. Well, um, well, I know what the Irish islands called. It's called Skellig or something. But yeah, yeah, the actual planet in the Star Wars universe, I can't remember. I can't remember what it's called. But um, I can't remember much about it really. But um, yeah, um, that I've got a little bit of news about that. I, I I have a script. I didn't mention this to you offline. I have a script, you... and I don't know if it's legit. And I read the first few pages. And I figured this actually might be legit. Please, please tell me it's the Michael Arndt original script based on Lucas's treatment, is it? Well, it wouldn't be because this is a full-blown script and it's actually titled The Last Jedi. And um, Oh, I see. It's, um, well, do you remember Super Shadow? Super Shadow? Do you remember Super Shadow? No. Ah, the guy gave us all the spoilers for, episode, for the prequels. Well, I didn't get it. I didn't get it from him. <laughs> I won't tell you where I got it from. I didn't get it from him. I won't well, tell you where I got it from. I can. I remember the spoilers. I don't remember that that was his name, but. Yeah, I I can. Let me try and find it. I I can read you a little bit from it. I didn't yeah. I didn't read all of it because um if I can find it like this, um I didn't want to be spoiled. Like I said, I didn't want to be. I'm sure, this podcast ain't going to get shut down by Lucas. <laughs> like uh, you, you licking well, this. Well, look, I, I look. I I received a um a PDF. Star Wars fan fiction, let's call it that. Uh, and I didn't feel like reading the rest of it. So I will, I, this, this isn't mine. I, I, I will read the beginning of this PDF, which does say Star Wars Episode 8, The Last Jedi, and does say the words, since the destruction of the Hosian system, many planetary governments uh, from the New Republic are fearful of the First, first Order retaliation. A weakened and leaderless New Republic defense struggles to protect the remaining New Republic members. Meanwhile, as the resistance musters its forces, General Leia Organa sends the young, force-sensitive Rey on a mission to enlist the help of Jedi Master Luke Skywalker, the last hope of the galaxy. And, you know, so it doesn't tell us anything new. It tells us what we saw. Uh, Tilt up. I'll tell you, I'll read more. I'll read more. I'll read a little bit more. I'll read a little bit more. Not too much. A little bit more. Tilt up the starfield, past uh, mining colonized uh, asteroids, uh, to a large red, white, and blue marble planet. City lights twinkle in the shadowed half. With a whoosh, a star destroyer drops out of hyperspace. A swarm of TIE fighters and transports launch from its hangar. Invasion. The force descends upon the unsuspecting population, and the star destroyer leaps away into the stars. And then it goes on a bit about TIE fighters and star destroyers. And, you know, it goes on and on and on. And then it will and eventually cuts to Arc 2. That's the planet. Arc 2. The island, day. Ray's young, outstretched hand holds the worn lightsaber with confidence, although her face is starstruck. Hesitantly, Luke accepts it. It feels good, comfortable, yet odd in his prosthetic, or prosthetic hand, even. Uh, he cracks a smile of old memories and better days as, he's run, as he runs his fingers across the hilt. Ray says, and I'll, I'll stop after this, but Ray says, Mars Kanata kept it safe, Luke says. Of course she did. And it goes on. So it could be legit, but hey. Just a PDF uh, I received, um, that's all. Well, go on, send it over anyway. I want to have a look at this uh, 
fan scripts. Well, of course, I'm, 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 I'm not at all prepared to distribute such a PDF, uh, but uh, Bronson, I will uh, speak more on the matter offline, let's just say. All right. Well, you've got uh, you've got to make sure you don't get into trouble, so that's uh, completely understandable. <laughs> Bronson, that leads me also onto um, the announcement that Disney made that they uh, they had to respond. They felt they had to respond uh, because uh, there's a lot of speculation that after we tragically lost Carrie Fisher in um, just after Christmas last year, um, that there there was rumours that Disney were quite prepared to see to you know to put a CG uh, general layer. Organa into episode uh, nine to tie in any sort of loose ends. Um, they did confirm that uh, Carrie Fisher did com- finish shooting all the scenes for eight, so that that was in the can. Um, but um, first of all, what are your thoughts on on on, on us losing Carrie Fisher? I mean, I, I saw pictures from the funeral and I saw George Lucas there looking forlorn, and you know Carrie having a last laugh. Her ashes were in a, a mock giant Prozac pill. I mean, what what are your thoughts? briefly about that yeah it's really sad i mean obviously it's been a, a lot lots been said about how tragic last year was in terms of a lot of celebrities passing away particularly from sort of the 80s and 90s you know childhood and what have you and i suppose first of all obviously it's a massive tragedy and you really feel for her um her family because she's still relatively young she was in her 60s wasn't she yeah, yeah. So, so yeah it's really really sad um but then it actually hit me a little bit harder than I expected it to. And see, that's down to the association we, with her most famous character that she played later. So, yeah, it's um, it was a real sad thing. And then I think that HBO documentary where she's hanging out with her mum, I think yeah. it's called Bright Lights. Yeah, yeah. I think Sky showed that, didn't they? Um, like they, it, they sort of escalated it onto their schedule to sort of, uh, you know, synchronize it with the topicality of the fact that she'd passed away. Well, it was um, it was surprisingly good, that documentary. Do you know what? I think it was made by Fisher Stevens, the guy who played the uh, the Indian uh, nerd. In, in Short, Short Circuit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's made by him, actually. And um, also well-known Fisher Stevens is the murderer in one of the, in an episode of Columbo. But anyway, we won't get into Fisher Stevens. But Ben, his, his name was Ben in Short Circuit. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. Oh, he was in the second one as well, wasn't he? He was actually the lead character in the second one. Yeah, yeah, he was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but no, good documentary, um, a little bit heartrending as well, you know, that the the relationship between um, Carrie Fisher and her mum, they were obviously really, really close. They'd obviously had a history of, uh, you know, falling out here and there, but the, as with often with family that they eventually come back together and all is forgiven and yeah it was actually really pulled on on the old heartstrings when i was watching it so yeah really sad um and it it brings an extra level to when you're watching rogue one i suppose when she pops up right at the end there you know it's kind of maybe maybe made some people well up a little bit you know not only is it 
that uh, fan service nostalgia that her cameo is supposed to give you, but it also it's a little bit, a little bit ghostly, isn't it? It's almost like Carrie sort of just under the grave saying goodbye to us. So uh, yeah, really sad turn of events. And by the way, her um, appearance in Rogue One I thought was pretty good. You know, and well, I was going to say spoiler alert in case anyone hasn't seen it, but it's safe to assume that. If you if you if you were going to if you intended to watch Rogue One you would have seen it by now right uh, yeah, safe to say? yeah apologies if I've ruined it for anyone but uh, yeah come on <laughs> well yeah Must've... you're not spoiling the plot I mean everyone knows what they what they expect with Rogue One so anyway yeah Leia layers 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 at the end there's a there's a cameo of a young Princess Leia right last scene she, she has the final uh, words of dialogue in the movie I believe yeah hope yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I mean granted it's not difficult um, to render her and sort of mask it over a, another actor who would have been a stand in there um, because she's only on screen for a number of seconds and she's only got one word of dialogue, which I think they went into the archives, didn't they, uh, of her, the takes that she did uh, for every setup in A New Hope. And I think that's where they pulled the word out of hope. Maybe. Um, yeah, maybe so. I mean, they can do all yeah. sorts of magic these days, but yeah. yeah. I mean, I believe so. I think that that's what I read anyway. I might be wrong. But um, yeah, I thought it was really good. The Tarkin, Tarkin one uh, again. Uh, if anyone hasn't seen Rogue One, spoiler alert. But Moff Tarkin's in it, and Peter, that's much more of a challenge, isn't it? Because he was in several scenes, and when you've got a character on scene for a much longer period of time, and he's got dialogue, and he's moving around the scene, then it's a lot harder to uh, to nail that and make it really convincing. And, and you could see that that. That they were struggling here and there, but considering it's not been done before to that level, considering the constraints of technology and everything, I think this is pretty well. Well, this is what I want to talk about because uh, I mean, Peter Cushion has been dead since the mid '90s, I think, and um, Tark, you know, Grand Moff Tarkin is actually one of the main players in in Rogue One, and so this is this is a little bit more than just Leia's brief cameo at the end. Um, I thought Tarkin was more was more impressive the cg Tarkin was more impressive than leia's cameo at the end and simply because they the scene at the end with leia was um in bright light so you it was very clear that she was cg and she looked like something out of a video game it's impressive don't get me wrong but it was very obvious Tarkin wasn't so obvious and i've heard and i never saw rogue one in 3d but i've heard it's a lot more convincing in 3d but it's because in many many of his scenes, um, you know, he's 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 there's lots of shadow, and that helps. And I think they pulled it off, and they right. certainly pulled it off better than I don't know what they did at the end of episode three. Uh, you know, Tarkin walks onto, uh, he's, he's he's on he's in the scene with Vader and Vader the Emperor looking at the uh, the Death Star, or the construction of the Death yep. Star, which seemed to take thirty years to complete. But I think we won't go there. Um, but um. It it it's it, it was it was pretty good, but we're treading down the uncanny valley now, aren't we? And because it was so, they pulled it off so well. I'm wondering, is this where Hollywood's going to go? Are are we going to see films with uh, Marilyn Monroe and James Dean? Are are, are we going to see the you know the because pretty much there's there's hardly anyone left with charisma today in Hollywood. Are they going to bring back the greats? Are they would would they dare to go down this route? Because one has to ask whether it's ethical, but I don't know if you looked at the credits of Rogue One. They did credit um, 
Tarkin's performance to both the guy who did the motion capture stuff and also to the estate of Peter Cushing. I mean, what are your thoughts of treading down the Uncanny Valley? Well, Hollywood treading down the Uncanny Valley. Um, well, do you know what? Um, there's certain actors out there, current movie stars, who are so unbelievably unexpressive and bland. Brian Gosling, I'm looking at you. Yeah. <laughs> um, if they could somehow, if John North could somehow use all of his uh, special effects wizardry to actually put some life into the performance <laughs> of some of these actors, that would be an achievement. Um, actually reminds me a little bit of Lord of the Rings. You, you know, in, in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the original trilogy, the most interesting character, the most interesting, the, the best performance was Gollum. Yeah, it was more interesting looking at Gollum and his expressions and everything, and what he was saying, how he was saying it, than it was looking at some of those hobbits or Vigo Mortensen. Because some actors seem to think, look into the distance, a thousand yard stare, do that for two seconds, and then drop your head, then look left, and apparently that's acting. Some of these movie stars, and, and I think some of these stars are, are, are robbing and living. To be honest with you, um, so if they pull anyway, this off, new, so you pull this off, most of the new Hollywood are going to be out of a job. They'll just bring back the charismatic greats from the past, and these guys will be out, out the door. The uh, what who is these days? The Bradley no, Coopers, the you know people like that. Yeah, it's another good shout actually, Bradley Cooper. <laughs> um, they're really powerful. How they become big movie stars, I don't know. But, um, look, I think the most interesting thing, doesn't matter how much how many explosions you've got, how much CG you, you pump into a Hollywood tentpole blockbuster, the fact of the matter is the most interesting thing you can put on screen is a human being. It's, that's still true. Yeah. And um, I don't think effects will catch up quickly enough, probably not in our lifetime, for it to ever become the case where flesh and bone actors will become redundant. I don't think that will happen. I think maybe in, you know, centuries moving forwards, you know, technology does move very quickly. You know, the half-life of a, something that's a contemporary piece of technology, which is state-of-the-art, you know, quickly, very quickly, six, 12 months later, becomes, um, you know, gets superseded, doesn't it, by, by the latest advance. So, yeah, look, with these techn technological advances, it will happen one day. But if you, do, you think if that's what they, do you think that's what they want? Because they keep pushing it a little bit further. I mean, we've come a long way now since, I mean, it wasn't even that long ago. When what was it? Um, when that awful McGee Terminator salvation yeah. came out and we had a young Arnie, Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. uh, uh, T-800, in the movie and what they did was obviously it was a combination of cg and a body double and there's a lot of sort of uh, quick cuts that's the way they got around it but now we've got you know rogue one we have uh you know talking in, in, in a complete you know, dominating a scene you know leading a scene so they keep pushing it that little bit further and then we keep accepting it you know we, we, we accept it more and more so i'm wondering how do you think it's hollywood's intention to yeah you know eventually we're gonna have we're gonna have james dean you know leading the picture Starring in the picture. I think, I think, do you know what? There's a there's an equation here. I mentioned technology getting to a point where they'll be able to do it. But then the other thing is um, the economies of scale. 
of them being able to do it for a price. When those two lines on that graph meet, then they'll Hollywood will be like, right, we've got the green light here. You know, Brian Gosling, let's get James Dean for a fraction of the price, and he's better. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But but I think it's some it's some distance away. Um, I mean, put it this way: when you the other day, I was I was just watching a little bit of um, Godfather, the original one, and okay. when you look at like Al Pacino's performance in that film, when you look at how how incredible it is, and he, the choices he makes as an actor with the pause, the length of the pause, the expression on his face. Um, you know, the, his body language. When you look at every single little micro move and every choice that he would have made in every scene, and it's just majestic, him in that film, if you get 50 um, special effects people, right, and the latest software, would they be able to achieve something that's as ageless and as magnificent as Al Pacino's performance in The Godfather. Well, they'll be able to recreate a a, a good impression of Al Pacino in The Godfather or any other movie, but they they won't be able to create anything new. You're right. Exactly. Your brain will still know that you've seen it before. It's a little bit like when I see um, illustrations on book covers, Star Wars book covers, spin-off books, by Timothy Zahn or someone, you see like Han Solo or Leia on one of these covers. I always used to look at those illustrations and think, oh, do you know what? I, I actually know which frame of Return of the Jedi they've taken. They've probably printed off a frame from that scene. They've blown it up, and that's what they've based the illustration on. Hmm. I can tell they've imitated something that already exists, right? I think the brain, the human brain, even the average viewer, I think is sophisticated enough to pick up on that. Um, I don't think you'll ever be able to get 50 people in a room no matter how talented they are how much money they got how sophisticated the computers are and how powerful the processes are to produce a performance for example like Al Pacino and the Godfather mm. you know the, the day that happens um you know that that would be truly the death knell for the flesh and blood actor but I think that's a long long way away it might it, it might even never happen so I, I wouldn't be, be worried too much if I was Ryan Gosling <laughs> right, well actually we'll talk we'll speak about him in a minute but um just going back to losing carrie fisher and disney disney confirmed again that she you know all the scenes for episode eight were in the can um if that's the case and they're not going to siege her cg her into um episode nine where is the character of leia destined in terms of this new trilogy because I'd say one thing, at least we enjoyed the reunion between her and Han in uh, The Force Awakens. And I'm presuming that we're going to see, I mean, I've heard two things. I've heard that there are going to be two key scenes concerning Leia, whether they're both in episode eight or not, or whether it's going to be eight. The intention was eight and nine, because I heard this before she died, uh, Carrie Fisher. Um, I don't know, but the rumor is that she's going to have a key moment with Luke and with Kylo Ren, her son, Leia's son. Um, so how do you think Disney going to deal with her death? I mean, if there are rumors of the rumors of Luke dying in episode eight are true, let's say that they are, that means none of the original trio are going to remain. And are the remaining players, the remaining characters, these new characters, are they strong enough to carry this trilogy to its conclusion? It doesn't look like Lando's coming back, so. 
Yeah, do you know what? I wonder if their original plan was when they sat down, and maybe they said, let's make on Solo like quite central to The Force Awakens. Let's give him a lot of screen time and we're going to kill him off. We'll do the same thing with Luke in Episode 8 and then maybe kill him off. And in Episode 9 will be Leia's film. Maybe they were thinking of bringing Leia center stage for 9. If that is the case, I'm completely just speculating, then obviously it's they're up shit creek without a paddle there so yeah and certainly look if if she was supposed to have some scenes with Kylo Ren and, and they haven't filmed those and now she's Carrie Fisher's passed away that's really problematic do you know what the bottom line is that it doesn't matter to me too much because this new trilogy like I said at the top of this podcast the new trilogy has already been ruined a little bit by what episode 7 is mm. uh, if Leia had a character story arc and, and now they can't complete it yeah it's really going to ha- hamstring them for episode nine i don't know how they would deal with it you're saying disney have already come out and confirmed they're not going to cg carrie fisher as leia for episode nine right they've made a statement in fact i will try and find disney's statement but um so um this is on the official star wars website actually um and there is there is a statement here Um, It says a statement regarding new rumors, and it reads, we don't normally respond to fan or press speculation, but there is a rumor circulating that we would like to address. We want to assure our fans that Lucasfilm has no plans to digitally recreate Carrie Fisher's performance as Princess or General Leia Organa. Carrie Fisher was and always will be a part of the Lucasfilm family. She was our princess, our general, and more importantly, our friend. We are still hurting from her loss. We cherish her memory and uh, legacy as Princess Leia and we'll always strive to honour everything she gave to Star Wars. So that sounds pretty final to me. It sounds like they can't they can't go back on that. Yeah, I'm a little bit surprised they would um, have so much sort of finality in that statement. I wonder what motivated them to come out and make it. Yeah. It, it is interesting. Um, yeah, I... You know, you asked me the new crop, if you like, uh, Darth Vader's offspring, because I'm, I'm of the opinion that Ray's Kylo Ren's sister. Are are those actors strong enough to sort of uh, carry the carry part nine by themselves? Um, I think the jury's out. The jury's out big time. The only act, we were talking earlier about can you um, render a performance of an artificial character? Mm. and make it fascinating i'll tell you what adam driver i think he's a top actor i think if you look at his performance in force awakens and uh, and other things i think he's a proper proper actor um you know could you put together a performance like that purely you know using uh, special effects tools i think you probably couldn't mm. I, think, I think he's good enough to um to kind of carry a film i mean if his story arc is that he's eventually going to come back to the light I wouldn't be worried about him. I'd be a little bit worried about John Boyega. Obviously, he's a British person doing an American accent for a start. Um, and he was a little bit boombastic and over the top, wasn't he? Oh, um, uh, yeah. David Hollywood loves that. Yeah. Um, the other girl, Daisy Ridley, I thought she was pretty good, actually. Um, but a little bit raw because she's not a very experienced actress, is she? So, you know, I was a fan of hers, but again, she's raw. You're putting a lot of pressure on that girl if you're asking her to carry a tentpole Hollywood blockbuster. 
Jason Isaac, is that the name? Yeah, they might as well bring him center stage because he's a good solid actor, isn't he? You know, he's it, got wait a minute, is it, is it Jason Isaacs? I don't think it is. I don't think it is. Something Isaac, I can't remember now. Doing him a disservice because he's a good actor. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, what else has he been in? He's Oscar, Oscar Isaac. Oh, I'll beg you. Right, well, I've done him a disservice because uh, he's a good actor. I think he was in Ridley Scott's Robin Hood. Okay. And his English accent was so good, I thought he was actually an English actor. And um, he was also in Do Sex Machina. Mm. And he was he played a good convincing psycho in that. He's the kind of actor, I think, do you know what? He's probably at his best when he's playing unhinged characters. So it was funny seeing him as a good guy in Star Wars. But... Yeah, I wouldn't be worried about him. I think he could probably um, carry a film, I think. I don't think think he will. I think he's a secondary character. In actual fact, Poe Dameron was supposed to die in in episode seven. And um, I don't... I wouldn't expect much from him unless they're going to go down the route of making him some sort of uh, love interest for Ray. But... I don't think Ray will have a love interest. I think this film, the trilogy is very much about girl power and Ray is very capable and Ray doesn't need to rely on a man for anything. And I think they're really pushing that message hard. And I, I just can't see Ray having a love interest at all. I mean, she might have, uh, you know, suitors, uh, characters who are interested, but I don't, I don't think, I don't think we'll see a romance for Ray. That's my opinion. Well, Hollywood's always had a massive fear of uh, miscegnation some people call it or, or interracial relationships so um yeah it's very unlikely that uh her and finn will hook up so just playing the percentages it doesn't leave too many other people yeah um yeah look you know what if if this is um if this trilogy is a little bit about girl power and empowering women i don't think there's anything wrong with that no there's nothing wrong with that at all no um yeah it's, I mean, it's not nice to see strong female characters and, and not just strong female characters for the sake of it I mean, unconvincing, unfeasible-looking female characters or something insulting like uh, Lara Croft, you know, it's just basically, you know, a quality um, action hero, if you like, like uh, what Sigourney Weaver did in Alien or whatever. And uh, and you know what, Daisy Ridley, yeah, a little bit inexperienced um, in terms of her acting chops, but um, like the way she was handling herself in her fight scenes and stuff like that she was actually pretty good quite athletic quite sort of natural moved quite well good physical actress yeah so um but yeah look just just going back to your original question without the original three on luke and leia what would episode nine be i don't know there's big question marks there isn't it and i mean the guy who's making it he was the, the guy who did um jurassic park reboot and and that film was basically just a rehash of Jurassic Park, so... Oh, the, the Jurassic World, you mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jurassic World, yeah. It's, um, I don't know, I would say I'm, I'm worried, but I'm not really, because as I said, as I said, right at the top, uh, Episode Seven's already given us a good indication of what this trilogy is all about. So. In terms of aesthetics and quality, anyway. I'm not expecting too much from it. I think everyone got a little bit carried away expecting the world from um, um, The Force Awakens, and... You know what? From the point of view of, of of a large part of the fan base, they got exactly what they wanted. They wanted to see Tie Fighters and X Wings. I wanted to see a progression of the Skywalker saga, which is what I consider Star Wars—a saga about the Skywalkers and the Force and 
the the, um, the the wars, the empire, and the rebels alliance, and all that sort of stuff. It's just stuff going on in the background. I was disappointed, but you know what? I'll be in the theaters with everyone else. <laughs> James Cameron, legendary director James Cameron, will get, regain his rights to the Terminator franchise in 2019. I think we knew that anyway. But he has expressed an interest in getting back into the franchise um, and is interested in producing a reboot and conclusion of the Terminator story and looking to line up uh, Tim Miller, director Tim Miller, the guy that directed Deadpool, to do so. Right. So at the moment, they've got a uh, apparently got a team of top science fiction authors to develop the story. Does that excite you? I know you're a fan of the, the when I say the Terminator franchise, I'm just literally referring to the first two movies. I don't count the others. Um, does that excite you? Yeah, yeah, I'm a huge Terminator fan. Uh, Shadow of Doubt. I'm actually a, a fan of the third one, which most people hate. Um, I like the ending. Um, well, do you know what? Look, the, the third one. Um, obviously not a patch in the first two but it's still pretty good it's still got a bit of a nasty edge to it it's not completely sanitised and the ending I liked it felt like a downbeat 1970s sci-fi movie actually, the ending so I've got a lot of good things to say about part three but your, the news your question your original question yeah it did excite me it's nice to the cynic in me says that it's James Cameron thinking it's an easy paycheck because the, 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 right, the, the rights of his of his baby, if you like, they've reverted back to him, and he's he might be thinking, right, I'll just go back, milk that cash cow a bit, happy days. I think I that's think what concerns really me story- actually. That's what concerns me that because he's before milked the cash cow in the sense that, for example, I don't mean that awful, awful Terminator Genesis. Did you actually watch that when that came out? Um, I didn't, I didn't, but he was waxing lyrical about it, wasn't it? Oh, they destroyed the character of John Connor, but you go and watch that offline, but basically. Um, yeah, destroy John Connor. Um, what what happened was t- James Cameron was giving statements to the press saying that um, from his point of view, um, he considered it a, tr- a true um, uh, sequel. I don't think he used the word sequel, but um, a continuation of, of the franchise. And he endorsed it, basically. But And it's an awful movie. I mean, it's even worse than Terminator Salvation. And you kind of... I, I watched the movie with my head in my hands that's how bad it was it was embarrassing however i reckon he just it's just a case of he's supporting his friend arnold schwarzenegger because there is that um story that uh when 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 um they were doing terminator 3 and arnold wasn't sure about working on it because james wouldn't be directing and he asked james what he thought and james said look at the money they're offering you take the money and i i, I figured it was just the same case of that because I think Arnold at that point was getting back into into movies. He served his term as governor of California and he was getting back into the film world and struggling a little, I think. And um, I think it's just Cameron doing him a favor by saying, hey, um, you know, this is a good movie, go see it. But it was actually awful. 
Um, and I, I suspect, I don't know what James Cameron's relationship is with this, 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 this director. Um, I just can't see how he thinks another sequel would be a good idea. It's the franchise has been destroyed unless it really is going to be, this is a sequel. The other movies don't count. This is how we're going to conclude things. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I've got to be honest with you. Whenever you get somebody, you get, whenever you get a situation where you know that, a cynical piece of crap has been produced by Hollywood, like Terminator Genesis. You get a situation where James Cameron is coming out in favour of it. It's obviously down to the profit participation, isn't it? It's a, it's a little bit like the um, that heartbreaking um, reboot of Ghostbusters um, from Sony. And <laughs> I we haven't watched it yet. Right. Well, yeah. Less, the, the less said, the better, mate. It's, it's, <laughs> I called The Force Awakens an abomination earlier. What does that make Ghostbusters? I don't even know if there's a word that's been invented <laughs> that would describe how bad it is. But the um, that hack that happened, the North Korea Sony hack, um, yeah. documents came out, didn't they, revealing how much uh, profit participation Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, and the rest had from any reboots or spin-offs or whatever. And it was, it was big, I think. Yeah. I think Bill Murray, in fact, had the most. I think he even had more than Ivan Reitman. So the fact that they were coming out endorsing that film, they even gave cameos to be in that film. I think it's all down to the dollar. I think it's a similar situation here with uh, with James Cameron uh, having endorsed Terminator Genesis. And yeah, look, the cynic in me says that he's probably thinking, oh, I created this thing in the first place. If anyone's going to milk cash cow, it should be me. And that's probably why they'll make another... Terminator movie with Cameron involved. If truth be told, I think if there really was a film of merit to be made, if Cameron still had something to say, I think he would be directing it. The fact that he's already got Tim Miller attached, I think that speaks volumes. Well, Cameron is kind of busy directing uh, back to back about thirteen sequels to Avatar, so you know he's he's, he's kind of got his hands tied right now. Apparently, well, I mean, when's it due out next year? I, I don't know. It keeps getting pushed back, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, hmm. yeah, well, we'll see how good those are. That'll be very interesting to see if they make the money back. <laughs> okay, Bronson, um, nothing I wanted to talk to you about was, um, and this is about a month old, I think, but we never had a chance to talk about this. Um, the teaser trailer for the Blade Runner sequel, Blade Runner 2049, I believe it's called. I think it's out in October this year. Um, and I forget the director. Who's directing it? Do you know? I can't remember the fella's name. No, but I looked, uh, I looked up his filmography and I hadn't seen any of his other films. It's got kind of a French name, Jacques something. Yeah, I'm not sure. We'll have to find that. Oh, well, here we go. oh, we've got it here. Um, Denis Villeneuve. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. Sounds like um, an F driver. I'm probably, yeah, I'm not pronouncing it right, clearly. <laughs> but um, Ridley Scott, apparently, um, the director of the original, is regretting 
that he was unable to direct this one, but it was apparently because he's got his high hands tied with that uh, unnecessary uh, Prometheus sequel, Alien Covenant, which I think is out this year also. Um, wow. But this this so so later around twenty forty nine we see everyone wants to know is Harrison Ford in it yep, Harrison Ford's in it Harrison Ford appears in the um the teaser trailer and reading the synopsis of it so Ryan Gosling who you rated so highly earlier on in our conversation Stop is that. leads a movie I think Jared Leto's in it as well I'm not sure what the character he plays but um so Ryan Gosling is the new Blade Runner for the LAPD and apparently he unearths a long buried secret that has the potential to plunge what's left of society into chaos and his discovery leads him to find Rick Deckard, Harrison Ford. Now, <laughs> doesn't sound like much of a plot there, but um, this sounds like an unnecessary sequel to me. And Blade Runner is, is, is a beautiful movie. It's one of those movies, it, it, it's so beautiful in terms of the way it's shot, in terms of not even that, but the message behind, you know, that it has behind it. And the performances are beautiful as well. And I just feel like this is yet another unnecessary Hollywood sequel that is just going to cheapen the original. Now, I don't know what compelled Harrison Ford to agree to this, especially if, as Ridley Scott is not directing. I think he's just the executive producer or something. Um, just, I don't know, maybe he's feeling nostalgic. But um, so this isn't anything to do with... Um, you can't the, think of a reason for Harrison Ford to want to do it. I'll give oh. you 20 million reasons. Okay, right, maybe so. <laughs> maybe so, maybe so. But this is, um, so there was a novel in 95, um, obviously not written by Philip K. Dick for Blade Runner 2, The Edge of Human. And this has nothing to do with that novel. They were, they were going to originally um, uh, make a movie based on that novel. Uh, they planned to do this at the end of the 90s, 99, I think. But there was some argument over rights. So they shelved that. And then apparently in 2009, Ridley Scott's brother, Tony, wanted to do some sort of a series of web shorts uh, at serving as some sort of prequel to Blade Runner. But again, there was some argument over rights and he was prevented from linking it to existing characters. So the whole thing fell apart and it was, ended up being pointless. So this teaser trailer for Blade Runner 2049 doesn't really tell us anything. And there's been a lot of... Ridiculous uproar about guess what the t-shirt Harrison Ford was wearing or Deckard was wearing. Oh way, t-shirt. Yeah, yeah, there there are memes, there are everything. This is a big thing on the internet now. There's a lot of jokes behind this that the t-shirt that he was wearing, which just looks like a regular t-shirt, it's like they Harrison Ford literally just left his house and they they, they, they rolled the cameras. I mean, a lot of people are, are, are complaining about that, saying, "Oh, there's no effort made. He doesn't look like a man of his time and future, and what have what have you." But yeah, it does a lot of fuss over the t-shirt. That's actually um, probably true. When I looked at it, I didn't think uh, Rick Deckard. I thought Harrison Ford because he's dressed like Harrison Ford would be dressed. So it's a hundred percent. Okay, I get that. I didn't realise it was such a controversy, but um, yeah, it, it wasn't particularly inspired, was it? No, no. And I'm surprised it's so controversial, but yeah, that, that seemed to dominate the conversation when that trailer was, uh, that teaser was leaked, the t-shirt. And what's your thoughts on a sequel to Blade Runner, particularly as, I mean, when was the original released? 1982, 83? When was that? One, I think, mate. 81, right. So yeah. tw 2017, we get a sequel to Blade Runner, Blade Runner was a wasn't didn't do well commercially anyway when it was first released. It became a cult classic long afterwards. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, well, the first thing I should say is Blade Runner probably means more to me um, you know, as a movie than, than actually any of the others we've already spoken about. I mentioned The Godfather briefly. Obviously, we talked about Star Wars at length, talked about Terminator. Blade Runner probably means more to me than any of those films. Mm. It's one of my favorite films of all time. Um, you know, you hit the nail on the head. That's probably, even before we'd seen any photos or trailers, we, we kind of knew that it was an unnecessary sequel um you know to what extent it's a reboot i don't know it's just obviously lazy hollywood it's a lot easier to green light something that's already got an inbuilt fan base or got some sort of brand awareness um which is why things like tetris get greenlit to become movies you know um And, and and what you say is true I mean again look my alarm bells went off as soon as I knew Ridley Scott wasn't directing it I knew it was going to be underwhelming to say the least um, one or two things I've heard about the film I think some scenes which were in original drafts of uh, early drafts I should say of the original Blade Runner film certain scenes which didn't make it into the final script or the final cut they, they're going to be incorporated into this movie. For example, there's a scene set on a farm or something or a, like an, a dust bowl where there's a chase going on and a, a replicant gets captured and it's, in order to verify it's a replicant, it's jawbones removed and it's got a serial number on it, something like that. I remember seeing concept art for that scene actually in a book about mm. the Blade Runner film. Um, it's not going to be heartbreaking for me because I've already prepared myself for it being terrible and um, I've already said enough negative things about Ryan Gosling. I, I won't slate him anymore. Actually, I'll say a good thing about him. The coat he was wearing in the trailer is actually a really nice-looking coat. Oh, I that's something. <laughs> since, since we're talking about the uh, sartorial approach that they've taken for this sequel. Um, yeah, look, it's... Uh, the thing about the original Blade Runner is it's one of those few movies where, like, one of those few big budget Hollywood movies or well-known Hollywood movies where everything has just come together at the perfect time. Uh, I know it had troubled production history. I know that Ridley Scott was going through some dark things in his personal life at the time when he made it and he channeled a lot of that into the film, but it, it helped the film. I know that Harrison Ford was really unhappy on the set of the film because he felt a lot of things weren't prepared properly before every day, you know, before they started shooting every day, the camera started rolling. He was a bit, off and that comes across um on screen for sure and i think it's one of his best performances actually harrison ford i've got to say that i think it's brilliant in that film i don't no, know i agree what oh, yeah i agree i totally agree yeah i've heard i i i think in the 80s and 90s there were times he'd be asked do you want to do an interview where you talk about blade runner and he would just say no he'd reject it out of hand he didn't have a lot of affection for that film he seems to have softened now with age um yeah it seems to be it seems to have softened and he seems to be getting a little bit nostalgic either that or you know the money's just too good but i'm sure i mean i mean you know blade a sequel to blade runner was was on the cards for years and um it's nice it's nice to see and it's nice to return to that world but um my i don't know i mean i i just don't want i mean if there was a single movie which i was to say to you name me a single movie that is a work of art I'd probably say one, The Godfather, and two, Blade Runner. Blade Runner is a movie I always return to, and it's just beautiful to watch. Hollywood movies you're talking about? 
Sorry? You're talking about a mainstream Hollywood movie, Joe? Um, when I say work of art, I mean a piece of aesthetic art. Yeah? I don't mean a, 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 a masterpiece of a motion picture. I mean, what movie is most like a piece of art? Yeah? yeah. And Blade Runner is one of those movies. To me. Just every, everything works so well in that movie. The themes, the... Um, the, 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 the cinematography, the music, everything works so well to me. And I just don't think they can recapture that. And I, I, I just think this 2016 edition isn't going to really tell us anything and it's just going to be a cheap science fiction movie, just a sequel, just for the sake of a sequel. And whether it'll do well, I don't think it'll do well. I can see all the fans going to, of, of Blade Runner going to watch it in the, first, in the first opening weekend. But other than that, how much mainstream appeal does Blade Runner really have? Yeah, not much. I mean, you know, Star, Star Wars, when Star Wars came out in 77, I don't think they'd quite seen anything like that before. And Star Wars' influence on movies and cartoons and comic books and toys right through the 80s up to the present day is really obvious. Hmm. Blade Runner's influence, aesthetic influence, stylistic influences are almost as big as Star Wars because not just the cyberpunk genre in comic books and movies... Um, but I think in fashion, I think to, to a certain extent, Vangelis's score as well, the impact that it had, yeah. it was just seismic event and it was such a kind of sleeper kind of hit because obviously it flopped at the cinema. It, they started, people started to realize how, how much of a, an impact it had made when they, I think there was like screenings being held, um, uh, like the director's cut appeared from nowhere, um, which didn't have a voiceover on it. And then on VHS, it was big. And uh, when the director's cut came out in the early 90s on, on VHS, that VHS sold really big. Mm. And it was like then Hollywood started to realize how good the film was. It had a massive impact. And yeah, lightning, you know, it doesn't strike twice, does it? You know, or, or very rarely does it. I think sequels, you, you've said it already. You said it right at the top. Okay. It's, it's just, it's a lazy attempt to maybe just try and, cash in on on a property you know we haven't made a sequel to blade runner yet oh well we might as well go and do that you know we, who knows we might hit the jackpot that's the approach i think if you want to make a sequel to a film it should be a worthwhile thing i mean just the other day right i sat down and i watched cars 2 right my nephew and niece <laughs> okay okay the first one was okay i didn't think it was one of pixar's best films but i enjoyed it i liked cars whatever i'm a big kid the second one was actually better and the second one was completely different from the first one they did new things. They went into a new territory with the characters. The effects were bigger and better. It felt like a necessary sequel. You know, it was nice to see those characters again in a slightly different setting. It was a worthwhile movie. They're going to make a third one. and That looks really dark. I saw the trailer for that, the teaser trailer. That looks really dark. Yeah, it, it, it does, yeah. I hope, uh, hope it doesn't send kids crying into their parents' laps like, you know, I hope Lightning McQueen doesn't have an Optimus Prime type death, you know, leading kids to get traumatized. But um, but the, the point is, Pixar seemed to have a really good idea of when we're making a sequel, let's make it a worthwhile sequel. Hmm. Things like Ghostbusters being both a reboot and a sequel, for example, complete you know, a mess. A pseudo sequel, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a mess. The Force Awakens is, is both a reboot and a sequel, isn't it? And yep simultaneously and uh they were unnecessary 
funny enough, you get certain franchises where they seem to do really well with sequels, like the Rocky franchise. Every time they make a sequel, it seems to surprise me. Like, I seem to be sitting there watching it thinking, this is pretty good. I know. Yeah, yeah. Creed is a brilliant... I, I, I really enjoyed Creed. Um, it's funny, I revisited, and we're going off topic a little bit, but I revisit, revisited the uh, over Christmas, all the Rocky movies, um, and um, I managed to get hold of the... Uh, the original work print for Rocky Five, which is different in a lot of places. There's a lot of scenes that they cut out and the music's different and, and it feels very different. And we'll, we'll talk about that in another episode. But yeah, the Rocky movie's brilliant. And that, that works. Yeah, you can watch it, you know, again and again. Yeah. You never get bored. People shouldn't get us wrong. There's a there's a couple of stinkers in, in the first five. Like, um, but at least they're extending the story with each film, aren't they? I know, yeah. I know he keeps hitting rock bottom and keeps coming back, but... But they repeat the formula and they add a bit onto it, don't they? And and, and the recent sequels like Rocky Balboa and Creed were, were really surprisingly good, weren't yeah. they? I think yeah. even, even critics were surprised. The problem with Blade Runner is going to be they're not going to be able to do anything better than the original movie and they're not really going to be able to add anything new to the debate about what really makes us human, what separates man from machine. They're probably not going to be able to add any new insights in this new film, which which we didn't already have provoked by the original, so yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a bit heartbreaking. Um, what else can you say? The, the the teaser itself, you know, Hollywood's got this tendency now of just chucking fan service snippets, images, and characters in there. It's a bit like one of those trailers for Force Awakens when Han Solo and Chewbacca walk into the Millennium Falcon, and Han goes. Chewie, we're back. And when we saw Deckard in that teaser, it's just the same thing, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. When the when the cover was taken off R2-D2 in The Force Awakens, we see him for the first time, that was the same thing. When we see Darth Vader's charred, the charred remains of his mask in Kylo Ren's chamber, that again was... They're, they're basically just grabbing onto the coattails of successful stuff that we've already seen hoping they can ride that to the box office they're doing that again with blade runner you know it's it ain't gonna break my heart i've already prepared myself i know it's gonna be a dog so yeah yeah i i, I prepared myself for disappointment with that one but um there's a little bit of news this week um so we we, we kind of know already who's who's in this blade runner sequel but a cast list got um i wouldn't say leaked but got posted to um imdb internet movie database pro yeah, the one that only industry insiders can post to. And apparently, um, Edouard James Olmos appears on the cast list. Oh, That's, okay. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they never announced it in any official way, but that is interesting. That would give the sequel a little bit more legitimacy, dare I say, because rather yeah. than just, yeah, so we'll see. That is interesting from the point of view that he was supposed to be hunting the Sean Young character, Rachel. Yeah. And he lets her go. So by the time we get into the sequel, is Sean Young dead? I'm assuming, yeah. I'm assuming uh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, look, it'll be good to have him. I'm, I'm actually angry at James Edward almost that he was asking for so much money for the, for the Mammy Vice movie. And they ended up casting some other guy who was just completely unfeasible for that character. Um, but yeah, he's supposed to be coming back as Castillo, and and he and apparently he, he was asking for too much cash money. 
Oh dear, that's a shame. But um, all right, yeah. Look, that's that's good. He's a top actor. Um, I haven't seen him in a while in anything. Be nice to have him in there. But you know, you can throw as much fan service at me as you want. As many cameos, you can chuck M. Emmett Walsh back in there as as uh, Brian. You know, you can uh, you can have as many spinners in there as you want. And uh, Animoid Row, give me all that again. I'm still not going to be sitting there thinking this is great. It's just. Um, like I say, like lightning in a bottle, little bit. The first one, you know, it's you, you were right when you said it, it's a piece of art. It's almost the perfect melding of the visual, the aural plot, the themes, you know, the, the neon urban sort of landscapes, and yeah, it's. But most importantly, in three D, they've announced that three D. God. Well, they lap, they'll lap that up in China and Russia, mate. But look, we're already we're already hip to Hollywood's. Yeah, we're not buying into that, are we? I'm not going to see it in 3D. What's the point? No, I don't. I I make a point of not seeing movies in 3D anymore. Oh well, Blade Runner 2049, October. Well, we shall see. Okay, that's all the time we have for now. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode. Um, Please do subscribe if you haven't done so already. Um, you can find us on most of the podcast directories, including iTunes. Um, if you want to leave your comments, uh, please do so on our message board, uh, our website, which is intersectioncast.com. Uh, for all the things we've discussed in this episode, you'll find further details in our show notes, which you'll also find uh, on our website. Um, if listeners have any questions or feedback or you know anything you want us to cover, uh, please leave us an email or leave us a Skype voicemail. You can email us and Skype voicemail us. It's the same account. It is feedback at intersectioncast.com. Uh, Bronson, I want to say thanks for joining us today and participating. It's been good. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, hopefully you'll come back again soon. Uh, Bronson, where, where, where can our listeners uh, follow you? Um, nowhere, mate. I'm, I'm a bit like the Scarlet Pimpernel. Uh, I'm not on social media. No one can follow me. So I'm just going to disappear into the night now. Okay, so if you want to catch Bronson again, you have to wait till he reappears on this podcast in a future episode. So keep subscribed to The Intersection. <laughs> okay, I'm your host, Jonathan Wildman. You can follow me on Twitter at Jonathan Wildman. I'm signing off episode three of The Intersection. Until next time, that's a wrap. the intersection. intersection.